Welcome to the Let's Talk Money and More podcast with me, Leslie Thomas. The aim of the podcast is to get us all talking about money more. Talking about money is still considered to be a taboo. We don't talk about money enough. Women don't talk about money enough. And that needs to stop. In this podcast, my guests and I talk about money, mindset, and how to turn around limiting beliefs, allowing you to develop a healthy, wealthy money mindset. Our relationship with money doesn't just affect our finances, but impacts every aspect of our business. And most of all, our own sense of self-value and self-worth. By mastering your mindset, you can in turn master the money you make in your business. Welcome to the latest episode of Let's Talk Money and More with me, Leslie Thomas. Today, I have another great guest for you. Misty Lynch is the US-based owner and chief exec of Soundview Financial Advisors. She is passionate in her commitment to help her clients handle their finances and lives with confidence. Misty hosts the unscripted reality show Heartbroke and the Demystifying Money podcast. She is also the author of Demystifying Money and a personal finance expert and resource for media outlets, which include the New York Times, Cosmopolitan and CNN. She was also one of the top 100 financial advisors in the US in 2021. And US News and World Report called her one of the nine women in finance to follow, because sometimes you need life advice, not just financial advice. So welcome to the podcast, Misty. It's absolutely brilliant to have you here. Thank you so much for having me, Leslie. I'm excited to talk about this today. So as I ask all my guests, the first question I'm going to ask you is, what is your money story? Yeah, so my money story, you know, I think we all have a money story, whether we believe we do or not. And I know that mine has kind of become kind of the focus of really my life and my work. Um, So I help people kind of my goal really is to help people feel better about their money. I um, had a kind of unique upbringing when it came to um, finances. So much of what we learn, we learn before we're even seven years old about money. We don't know it, but um, we were pretty comfortable when I was for, when I was a young child. My father had his own business. He was always an entrepreneur, and my mom didn't work. She didn't have to. We had a nice house, cars. Um, they had a boat, all of these things in the 80s that um, kind of signified success and wealth and status. And so we were comfortable and I didn't really think about money in that, you know, in a negative way at all. Um, but then all of a sudden, when I was around 10 years old, my father's business had um, slowed down dramatically. And so we went from having, and I'm a nine-year-old, 10-year-old, I have a child that age now, so I can see how their brain is. They get things, but they don't necessarily really understand everything that's going on. And so we um, we had to sell the house and move. Um, we changed cars. We moved to a different um, town. Um, there were no more boats, no more. And we were living in a very small, like, apartment type of place. And things had changed so much where money was something that was being discussed all the time. And when it was, there was crying. It was stressful. And I felt that. So in my head, I really started to believe that having more money or having less money was why there were any problems at all in, yeah. in our life. Mm-hmm. So even, even as I started, you know, in element, I think in sixth grade, there was a stock market contest that we did. And we took a, a newspaper and we looked at a stock and I realized what investing was from just that little introduction to it. And I thought I had the answer. I went home and told my parents, I have the answer for the money problems, we just need to do this thing called investing where we put our money in other companies and they do the work and they make more money and we get more money. I lost the contest, but um, I did just become fascinated with how other people did it because I didn't feel like my parents, they did work hard. My mom started working after that in a job. She had a high school educated, you know, she started doing hard work and my father was still trying to, you know, adjust the business and work hard. So I didn't think that being you know, working hard meant you get more money. <laughs> that didn't seem to be translating. So I was trying to figure out other ways, basically, to try to 
to try to fix it. And so I really started to to think about money a lot more than other kids. I worked very early in my, I, I think I started working when I was 13 or 14 and um, really just continued to think about business and investing. So my father was an entrepreneur and I thought that that was, you know, the way to go. But then I also saw the downside too, mm. which was very um, scary at times. Very, I mean, wonderful at times. He had time for me. He went to my games during when I played sports. He was always, you know, around. I always felt like my parents were available, um, which is one of the beautiful things about being an entrepreneur. If you, you know, if you manage Absolutely. it. But also it's really up to you to figure out everything and it can be stressful and lonely too. So I kind of, you know, from that early experience trying to be like, you know, now I realize like money doesn't cause all of the problems or solve all the problems in the world, but I still believe it solves a lot of them. And so learning how to manage your money and learning how to use it and not be afraid of it and not ignore it can be incredibly powerful and can eliminate a lot of stress in people's lives. Absolutely. So do do you feel that because of what your parents went through and your desire to find out how to make money more effectively as you perceived it, that that's actually been an advantage to you going through your life? I do. I think I think seeing what I've seen has given me a lot of advantages, especially when it comes to connecting with other people, because I do understand what it's like to not stress out about money and not think about it because it's just there and it's abundant and it's not, you know. So for for some people, though, I can tell even when I talk to couples who had a less comfortable financial situation growing up, because they might be the ones that are very, you know, maybe they maybe they became um, overspenders because now they have it and they want to spend it and they want to enjoy it. Or maybe they're afraid to spend money because they always have some sort of something where you could kind of say like, okay, what was it like for you, you know, at home, you know, did dad handle all the finances? So you don't feel as a woman, like you understand it or ever talked about it. Or, you know, do you feel like someone's going to take it away if you don't spend it? And I can kind of hear that because I recognize it. You know, I recognize how much, it can go on in the background and just kind of be this, you know, constant, you know, there's a lot of fear, there's a lot of shame and guilt that people have that really kind of holds them back. So I think kind of seeing all of those, you know, seeing the really good times and seeing stressful, you know, lean times, it's been especially helpful too for a lot of entrepreneurs that I work with, because sometimes their friends might think that they're just, you know, enjoying their laptop at the coffee shop and they have the but I realize how, you know, stressful things might be for them trying to figure out how to, you know, when you don't get a paycheck every every couple of weeks anymore. Yeah, so, yeah absolutely. That has and as a child, when your parents started to transition away from, you know, the big house and the very nice cars mm-hmm. to different cars and you know, a different home, et cetera, did your parents talk to you about what was going on? No. No, I I would say that they they thought that they were hiding it or being as content as possible. But it was, um, you know, we were in a small space. I could hear the discussions. I could hear the the pressure for, you know, why doesn't he just go get a job? And, you know, even though he was, you know, some people are just entrepreneurs and they always, you know, will be. He still works to this day, still owns his business and runs it in his 70s. Um, because that's just part of, you know, who he is. But there was a lot of conversations that I overheard, tear, stress. I knew that we couldn't do certain things anymore. I knew that there was some, my, I knew a lot of my friends had a different lifestyle. They were riding, I mean, we moved to a small town, which had a great school district, but also like I knew we were, it was different. So no, they didn't really talk to us and say, this is what's happening that's going on. Not until I was older. Then my father and I started talking about business a lot. I'd understand what he was doing when he was outside with a book. And he would tell me, I have to learn how to do this new type of structure or coding or something in the business so that I can start to work on these types of things. Because that helped me see the learning curve for business owners. When technology changes, things change. There's no training department to come and teach you how to do it or new, you know, human resources help. There's nobody. So you really have to learn how to adapt. So I saw that contraction 
where he was kind of reevaluating the business, the model, what's he going to do? How is he going to meet new clients? Things like that. And some of it was kind of quiet where you wouldn't notice it was going on, but I saw that end of it too, which might not to look to someone else like working, but it was, yeah. you know, Absolutely. it was. And so it was, it was kind of interesting to kind of see all of those, all those ways that people have to, um, really you kind of, if you want to stay in business, you do have to kind of continue to learn and, and evolve. Yeah. Very, very true. And do, do your, your parents didn't talk to you about it clearly because Mm -hmm. they, they were protecting you. Yeah. Do you think as a child, you would have been less concerned I don't want to use the word fearful because mm-hmm. I'm putting my own spin on what you were feeling. But yeah, it was scared. Yeah. So do you think you would have been less scared if they had spoken to you directly about it? You know, I, I think so. I, I think so. I think they did. I think they did the best they could understanding what they knew. I think this was new for my mother. I mean, and this is still very relatively recent, especially here in the United States where I am. You know, most my mom's parents, my grandmother didn't work and my grandfather worked for a company for a long time and got his pension and you didn't save for retirement. You didn't invest. You were just that that was how it worked. And that's only one generation removed. So she didn't probably understand what was going on. And so she was stressed out being in a low paying job and a high stress. I think she was working at a nursing home at the time. Um and so that was meant that was challenging for her. So a lot of times I do think about it now, like where their mindset was at at the time. My father was trying to figure out how to make this work. Obviously, it must have been a very big adjustment for him going from successful supporting the family, no problem to having to now reevaluate the business and things like that. And her having to go work to pay to keep the lights on and the bills. So I think we were the last they wanted to protect us as much as they could. I mean, obviously we're going to see we're in a different school. We're doing different things, but I think if they had talked to me, even now knowing like what my son and daughter can understand at eight and 10, I might've been a little less, maybe I wouldn't be doing what I do today. Less likely to jump to my own conclusions that money is this enormous, you know, beast that I need to figure out just as important as like food and water and air. Like this is a basic need and figuring out how to get, more of it, keep more of it, do more with it. Um, maybe I wouldn't have become so <laughs> obsessed with trying to figure that answer out. But it's funny, my sister is a year older than me, total different direction as far as her money mindset. She's a professor. She really, you know, when it, it's it's interesting. You could have the same family, same upbringing, um, and really have very different money stories than the rest of your whole your whole family. So absolutely, you know, mm-hmm. I see that you know in in my two children, you know, my oldest son, you know, is very much for you know very expensive brands when it comes mm-hmm. to clothing, whereas and he's sixteen, whereas my fourteen year old son, you know, not that far behind, you know, it's more or less, you know, as long as it keeps him you know warm or cool <laughs> in the summer, he's not yeah. particularly bothered about you know what he's wearing and. Yeah. As far as we're aware, we've brought them up with Another, yeah. exactly the same yeah. way, with the exact same messaging. So it it you know it does question that whole nature nurture debate yeah. as to where that difference has come from. So it's yeah. really really interesting. Oh, and my sister, I remember she used to go, one of her friends would always go shopping, these big shopping trips. And my sister would go with her with maybe five or $10, whatever they gave, whatever they had to give her. And I mean, her friend must've been getting like hundreds of dollars worth of like clothes and, and, you know, at the time electronics and things like that. And my sister didn't mind at all. She enjoyed going. It was fun and she had a good time. And, um, I couldn't have gone. I would have been so, I would have been so jealous. I would have been so, um, frustrated. And so it's just interesting because I think about it with just different, different personalities, different people where that didn't, and she meant it. it, She enjoyed it. It still was fine where I was looking at it like, oh, don't you wish that like, we could just do these types of things. Don't you wish you could just go? And and she didn't care. (laughs) How how has that experience of your childhood, Mm -hmm. how has that fed into your relationship now with your children and being a mum? Yeah. So I talk about money. I mean, I talk about money every day for work. So I'm working with people and clients, strangers. And I, I mean, a lot of people will just tell me all of the things that are on their mind about money. So I talk about money, like 
it's not like a special discussion date night with my husband because it's just so comfortable that I'll just be like, are you doing this? Did you increase this? What should we do about this? And I don't mind if my kids understand that sometimes I make decisions based on money. Like even at this point, sometimes they'll be watching television and they'll look through the movies that are available and they'll be like, oh, this one's rent or buy or this one's free. And then they'll just be like, well, we really let's let's watch the free one because or if they want to rent or buy it, they'll kind of make their decision kind of with a little bit more thought like, okay, we both really want to see this. Let's ask mom. And they can almost tell that like there is a difference. It's not just go do whatever you want to. It doesn't, it doesn't matter. And they see, you know, since, you know, COVID and even before that, my husband has worked from home. I work, you know, in town in an office, but they come to my office. So they see us working. They understand that the money comes from somewhere. And so they're kind of, it's not like when dad would leave the house all day and come back. You had no idea what he was doing. And like, they're seeing us working and we have phone calls and things like that. And we actually enjoy our work. And so they kind of have, I don't know. And we'll see what happens as far as their relationship with money is. But I think right now they understand like, okay, this is how you earn money sometimes. Or if you create value, you can get money for that if you do certain things. And also, you know, they like certain causes. And so we talk about what charity is and how you can give some of your money away, not to get something, but to support things that you care about. And they, you know, they happen to be animal lovers and, you know, and so they, they feel a sense of pride in some of the fundraisers at school for cancer research, things like that. They understand it yeah, and they don't expect anything back, but they also feel like, this is one of the things that you can actually do with money. And I want them to understand that it's like a tool, like anything else that you use. If you understand how to use it properly, um, it doesn't have to become such a source of, of pain or stress in your life. Um, and I think that they're kind of, they're exposed to it in, in a, in a healthy way, I yeah. think. And I think as well, you know, it's a tool that we should be using respectfully. And I think that sometimes is an element that can be forgotten mm -hmm. that if you have, you know, if you're very, very comfortable and you have you know, all the money that you need, that doesn't then translate to with your children, you always say yes to them. You mm -hmm. always let them have what they want whenever mm -hmm. they want it because actually that's not giving them the respect of, of money and yeah. them, their money situation may be very, very different when they're older. And it could be one heck of a shock if all of a sudden they've got to mm -hmm. think about where does the money come from? Yeah. How yeah. do I get more of it? What about paying for the things I need to pay for because I'm now a responsible adult around taxation, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. And I, I think that it's something like I remember, you know, I, like I said, I started working when I was a teen and I remember wanting to get my father like a video game for Father's Day. It was just or a computer game. There was something that he liked on the computer. And I remember going to work at this coffee place. I waited tables and served coffee, kind of like a little cafe. And I knew I needed to earn $50 that day. And I went into work just de deciding that I was going to make $50 in tips that day. And I worked in a different way. I was just hustling more. I knew what people came in for. I was, you know, and I just, I definitely hit that goal plus a little bit more that day. And I think that that was just something in my money. And part of my money story was like, I didn't do anything necessarily same job, but I delivered, I offered more value. I was, I worked harder and I hit that goal and it was fun. It was really yeah. fun. And so in my mind, like making money and working could be really, really enjoyable. And buying a gift, like I know some people feel like love to give and get whatever it ends up being that that's it for you. Like getting somebody like an amazing gift feels really good to me. So that's like a very fun way for me to use my money. And I was very proud of that. So if I had just said, mom, can I have $50? And she said, sure. And I bought my dad. It would have been a very different, it, it, I wouldn't have thought about it again. Probably it wouldn't have mattered. But that kind of, that experience of actually like working hard for something and getting it and then being able to do something that was like your decision to do um, felt great. Yeah. So I want my kids to get that. And I feel like some of the nicest people I work, some of the wealthiest people I worked with who had, um, you know, kids that worked as well, like they were teaching their kids like, no, you've got to, you know, work like this is part of the 
part of the deal is learning how to kind of create a good work ethic and get and get things accomplished. And I absolutely. think that that's a benefit. Yeah, absolutely. And that seems to have had a big, you know, quite profound impact on you in terms mm-hmm. of realizing, well, actually, if I set my mind on a particular goal and I turn it into something that's fun to do, not mm-hmm. only do I reach the, that goal, but I have fun along the way as well. Yeah. And I talk to a lot of clients and they're not dreaming big enough. Like their goal, when I ask them, what do you want to do? You know, what do we, what do we want to build this plan to do? And they just say, I want to pay off my debt. In the US, we have a lot of student loan debt, medical debt, things like that, that they just want to get out from under. And while I understand that, if that's your ultimate goal, it's really hard for your brain to get like excited about that and want to jump out of bed and go, you know, crush it at work because eventually you'll pay down this debt. It's really important to kind of think past, okay, once that's gone, what would you want to do? Where would you want to live? What would your life be like? What would you stop doing? What would you do more of? And it's really the first time a lot of people have thought about it. <laughs> and I and- think it's, you know, it is considering the art of the possible. And I think when you start thinking about the art of the possible, seeking the evidence of others who have done it and realizing that it is out there for you if you choose it is out there for you that's when you can create that emotional connection and as you said you know when you have that emotional connection it's that that gets you out of bed in the morning because paying off your debt is really just resetting things Mm -hmm. it's not taking you any further forward it's just taking you back to that point where you didn't have the debt but it right. doesn't create that that sense of real possibility for how different your life can look. Yeah, and I've talked to people who once they do pay that debt off, they go right back into it. Or, you know, they'll figure out like, okay, maybe I should go back to school again and get this degree because maybe then I'll be happy. Or maybe, you know, I paid off all my credit card debt. All right, well, I, I need this, so I'm going to use the card. Not because they're thinking, oh, I want to go up go back, but your brain gets used to a certain level of normal. And then once that normal changes, if you're not thinking about, okay, what is, what is the next step? What is when my business earns six figures? What decisions am I going to make then? And what about seven figures? You're still thinking at zero. Yeah. You're going to go backwards just because it feels normal. Even if it's not pleasant or painful, it'll help you. We don't want to feel like, well, this is kind of, this is different and unusual, Let's go back to normal. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And that last year, sorry, last year, I think the universe kind of spoke to me. And I'm not a, you know, I'm not a woo-woo person at all. But, you know, during kind of coming out of COVID and, you know, regularly going off for walks, et cetera, I would put my, ear, my uh, earbuds in, my earpods, and I would plug into an audible book. Mm-hmm. And I come to the end of a particular book and I was in a rush to get out the door, but I knew I'd only commit to the walk if I was listening to something. And I quickly looked on Audible and there was a book there that I vaguely remembered at the time. And it was called The Big Leap by Gay Hendricks. Mm-hmm. Now, regular listeners, this podcast will be going, here she goes again, talking mm-hmm. about that book. Because that book had a massive, massive impact on me. It is all about what you've just described there, essentially, which is we all have an upper limit. And that upper limit is that success that we will allow ourselves to have. Mm -hmm. And unless we push ourselves beyond that upper limit, then we will never, ever have more than that that success that we allow ourselves. And we will almost retract away from having any further success. And Mm -hmm. Gade gives loads of examples, and he's an American author, so all the examples are American-based. And one of the things he said was 60% of Americans who win big on the lottery in America they either, after a period of about five years, they either go back to exactly where they were before, they've spent it, they've lost it, whatever, given it away, or have are in a, a worse off position yes. 
than mm. they were before they won the lottery. And it made so much I would I would never, I don't think, have kind of gone, oh, I'll go, I'll go and read that book. It's almost like the universe said, you're in a rush, I'm gonna help you out. Mm. This is the one that you're going to listen to. Oh and everything that you know you've just described there definitely, you know, rings true that people will, unless they really think about it, only push themselves or not even push themselves for that success that they feel they are worthy of. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think a lot of people get stuck maybe at the highest income level that they reached. And then you'll say, okay, well, how much would you like to make if you get a new job? And they'll go a little, maybe a tiny bit higher than that, because that is where they've anchored their value. Because someone else decided that that was what that one role paid. And I'd say, okay, well, this was uncomfortable in your budget. You didn't have, like, why are we here? Why are we looking at this job instead of that? Because they just feel like, well, that's my upper, that's my upper limit. That's, that's where I can go. And it's only their thought in their head dictating that. And like you said about people who win the lottery, our brain wants to avoid pain, find pleasure and create shortcuts. And so when it comes to making money, when I tell people about like, investing, you know, small percentages over time and that it works, that is not a shortcut. That is a lot of work. And that idea of that winning lottery ticket sounds a lot better to people. Even though you win the lotto, your brain is still the struggling scarcity mindset person. It has not been planning for what, I mean, most people don't think every day, when I win the lotto, this is my plan. I will reach out to an estate planner, I'll get my taxes in order. Then I'm going to do this, this, and this. Then I'll set it up this way. They're not thinking that. So then all of a sudden they get it. And then they're like, oh, everybody wants a handout because that's what their brain thought earlier. Everyone wants me to help them. Oh, I've got to help them. I've got to get, because they're going to try to reset and get back to what feels normal. So yeah, they're going to end up, like you said, back to where they started within five years or bankrupt or yeah, worse. Yeah. yeah. And so it's interesting because I think it's because their brain has no time to catch up to their new reality and it is going to try to stay safe and get back to where it started. And so I like to kind of talk to people about eventually what they'll do with their wealth, what they wanted to start really dreaming about it because then sometimes with business, like you said, you know, you, you said you're not woo. I would say that I'm woo centric as far as that concerned, but I feel like once there's an alignment, so once you feel like, yep, you're in, you're in the right spot or you're doing the right work or you're helping the right people, sometimes that growth can happen quickly. It doesn't have to take 10 or 20 yeah. years to go from, you know, A to B or, you know, five figures to six to seven. It doesn't have to be this linear, okay, nope, 10 years in this job, kind of like a corporate path. Um, and so getting their minds ready for it is necessary. Absolutely. And, you know, that, that, I think that is the, the really exciting part, you know, of being an entrepreneur. Mm -hmm. When you go and look for the evidence of what other people have done. And I'm sure it's exactly the same for you as it is for me. You know, I am in the world where, you know, I see coaches who have had multi million pound launches. You know, literally one coach I know has made 20, made, made a million in 24 hours as a result of the launch that she did. As we are recording this podcast at the moment, a little bit later on today, I'm going to be listening in to somebody. She's an American. Can't remember her name now. It'll hopefully come to me. Two years ago, she was a nurse. She now makes 10 million. 10 million having gone from being a nurse. So mm -hmm. I think those days where you start off on a path and I spent 20 years in corporate life. I had no ambition to be an entrepreneur, probably because I was brought up the same way as a lot of people are. You work hard at school, you go to university, mm -hmm. you get a job, and that, that's it then till you retire, essentially. Mm -hmm. And it was only because that lifestyle did not work for me being a mum, because my job was in London an hour and a half away. I was having to leave my children at very early breakfast time with my husband who had set up his own business at that point. He was taking them to nursery. I was clock watching, et cetera. Yeah. When I came into that, so I, I left 
10 years ago, I've joined him in his business and then set up my own coaching business. I had no idea that this world existed where you could make huge amounts of money Mm-hmm. in very very short space of time so my blinkers were were taken off but I think when you are as you so well described you know when you are in a corporate role where the bands are set for your salary and you might get a little bit more if you have the ability to twist the arm of that person who's looking to take you on etc but it's never going to be massively different from the band that you are within then your mindset is going to be well this is how much I am worth Mm -hmm. rather than actually no that's how much the role is worth you are worth so much more but that's what the role is worth but once you tap into well actually if I go and look at the other people who Mm -hmm. are doing what I am doing or I want to do in the entrepreneurial world and I find out how they did it, then it's possible for me. And when you start to dream big beyond just paying off your debt and instead thinking, what difference can this money make to me? What can I do with this money in terms of the memories I can make, the experiences I can bring for my family, how I can share what I have with other people? Once those shackles come off, and I'm sure you see this with your clients, all of a sudden, a new world opens up for them. Yeah, no. And I was in corporate too for about 12 years because I did at some point. At first, I tried, you know, I wanted to be an investment advisor. But when I was in my early 20s and um, it didn't help being female, like all of these things were kind. And I had no money and no wealthy family members to go to to ask to be my first clients. So I... Um, I struggled. And then I've said, you know, I have this education. I know how to do it. So I went to a corporate job where I was able to travel and I enjoyed it um, because I was like, whoa, okay, I don't want to end up like dad. I don't want to end up struggling like this. But I had seen the good times too. So I knew in the back of my mind that, okay, nope, there could be, you know, working for yourself has an enormous value. But in my 20s and 30s, I, I made money and I saved and invested. Um, but you're right. Like when I, you know, I had my kids and I was still going into Boston. I was commuting into the city. I didn't love it, but I started studying and getting really curious about what people who were doing what I wanted to do were doing. And I almost felt like I was a short timer at work. Like I would give my, you know, like I'd given my notice, but it actually took me about a year or two to really leave. But I was planning that whole time, listening to podcasts, reading books, talking to people, getting in certain forums with people who were, you know, investment advisors, owning their own firms, like what they were doing, what was going on in their minds. Um, and one of my clients who worked with me in corporate, she reached out to me the other day and just sent me a text being like, it's so nice to see you doing exactly what you said you were going to be doing. And like, down to the location of where my office space is. I had had it in my head so much that it was just kind of like felt real, just hadn't happened yet. Yeah. And so I feel like when you get to that level, like that nurse who now had that dramatic increase, some point she got really curious about what, what could I do yeah. that would fit my life or what would be possible? What are other people doing? And that's how you learn. And then it's really starts to open up the possibility. Like at first it might be okay. It's possible for some people, some people out there doing it. And then your brain might catch up to, I could eventually do this to the fact that eventually where you're like, okay, I am doing this and your brain needs time. It needs to get there because going from a nurse working 12 hour shifts to 10 million or a million, whatever, that's a leap. A mass, exactly. And, and I, th- this person is a, is a manifester. And I, mm-hmm. again, as I said, you know, I'm, I'm not big on this, on, on this whole manifesting mm-hmm. thing. But actually, yeah. I have to give respect to, well, if the evidence is there, then yeah. don't dismiss it. Mm-hmm. Actually, to, to the word you use, go and be curious. Go and think, well, there could be a different way for me. Exactly. Exactly. And I think these days, it does come down to the decision 
that you make for yourself as to what is or isn't possible. Right. And then taking action or actually making a decision to not take action. But both ways, you are making a decision. Right. One is a limiting decision mm-hmm. and one is a decision that's going to take you forward. What I'd like to ask you as well is you said that you know you you went out you went out to to educate yourself mm-hmm. to learn about what it was really successful people were doing so that you could then replicate essentially. Mm-hmm. What were two or three of the top tips that you could share as to what they were doing that worked for them? Yeah. So I think I was I was in a job in corporate where I was actually in I was auditing the financial advisors that were in our network. And I was having a lot of conversations with people directly that were doing it. And then it took a matter of time for me to realize they are not much different than me. Some have, you know, very either similar education background resume. Like there was nothing that kept us apart necessarily. And then I was looking and social media was sort of an easy way to just listen to what people are sharing and doing. And so I kind of was looking at, you know, some of the Facebook groups for some of the independent advisors. Okay, I'm allowed to join it if I'm somebody who may be pursuing a few. And really just kind of looking, you know, there's so much information out there, it's almost overwhelming. But there was a couple people that I really had, um, I really liked, you know, that I knew were doing a good job. They were doing the things the way that I thought that I would want to do them. And so I was like, okay, what, what do they say on their missions? What do they say on their websites? What do they have here? And I was just looking at all the information that's out there. Um, occasionally I would connect with, with them. You know, I started to read a lot. If they wrote books, I would read, what are they writing? What, because I've realized that like, if this is what they're giving out for a low price or free on a podcast or on, you know, on their websites or on YouTube or wherever, then what they're really delivering to their one-on-one clients must be even more valuable. So it was really just kind of doing my homework. Like, okay, what do they need? Okay. They have a nice website. Okay. Nice website. That's an important thing. Okay. What else, you know, how are they reaching their clients? Do they have specific clients? Is it everybody? Cause at first when you start a business, you think I can help everybody. I yeah. want to help everyone. But then when you say, okay, I help, you know, I help people, I help coaches who help people with weight loss. That's very specific. So you might hear that and be like, oh yeah, that's me. <laughs> and so it's like, how specific are they getting? And I was just kind of observing um, all of these things and kind of thinking about, okay, well, when I did it, who would I want to help? What would I want to do? What would, what would things start to look like here? Who in my network is good at doing the things I don't know how to do, like building a website? I don't want to learn how to do that. So those were, and how much does it cost? Like all of that information until I kind of had built this business, you know, on paper without having to do it, where then I could go to my finances and say, oh, actually I could afford, even if I don't get a client for X number of months, this could work. And that's where I think that I have a little bit of a different um, viewpoint because you can see some coaches and some launches being like, you know, quit your job, like be, you know, go all in. And I don't think that I did that. What I did was I planned and then left, you know, so I still had a corporate job, which paid the bills, which is excellent. Paying your bills is fantastic. Absolutely. Having money, getting kind of to a point where you have a runway where you don't have to immediately boomerang back to a job is important. And yes, jumping all it might work well for some people. You're going to see those success stories. And then there's probably going to be a lot of coaches and, uh, you know, service, but that don't, it doesn't work, you know? So I think I built it to the point where I would be comfortable and I had enough information for my brain to be like, no, this is not a bad decision. This is, this is actually a good, this is a smart decision. This is something that we can do um, because I knew it was going to be scary. It was. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. And I, and I, th- I think as well, you know, it is about understanding that when you jump off that cliff, you know, are you wearing a parachute that is going to work effectively? And I think, you know, for some people going absolutely all in and just jumping off that cliff and not worried about having mm-hmm. a parachute, you know, is the way that they want to live their lives. Whereas yeah. for other people, it is about starting off with the side hustle, mm-hmm. building up some savings, building up a core of clients that you can slowly start to work 
less in your other job and more in your side hustle, but always doing it from the perspective of, am I doing this for the right reasons, for safety and security and moving myself forward? Or am I doing it for fear that it's not going to work? Mm -hmm. So always be mindful of your own mindset around Mm -hmm. money, your own mindset around growth and development Mm -hmm. and what you truly believe is for you. And I think when you do that, you have the the greatest opportunity for success. Yeah, it's great. I mean, especially even if somebody who's, you know, starting out or starting their side hustle, even just that proof that somebody will pay you money for what you're offering is evidence that if you just decide, you know what, I'm going to quit and go. If you don't even have, you know, one person that says, no, that's a good idea. Because a lot of times we keep it all to ourselves. We're like, okay, this is my idea in my head and it's going to be great. But we have no, like, we haven't tested it. And we think, oh, well, where's my $100,000 launch? Where's my, you know, where's this, you know, where are all the people? Um, So I think getting that, you know, putting your foot in the door and kind of figuring out like, okay, this, how does this feel? Okay, this is good. All right. This person was really happy. All right. They said they would, you know, share their experience and, and all of those things as you're building. I think as long as you keep looking forward, can be really helpful yeah. if you if you want to you know start a, a solid business and actually like really you know maybe it starts out slowly but if you know like nope this is this was the plan I can afford it you know eventually because it might take a it might take a couple months or years to actually you know have it replace your corporate income but I think knowing your numbers can help you really feel good or okay about that yeah. And I think that, you know, that that's a really important thing to say there is, is to know your numbers, you know, to really be clear on what you need to be bringing in so that you are keeping your safe, yourself as safe as possible. Yes. Because, you know, getting into that fight, flight or fear mode, that is what's going to really inhibit you from being able to get out of danger if you've put yourself into that danger zone because yeah. you haven't understood your numbers, you've just mm-hmm. gone with a, a an attitude of, oh, I'm going to go all in without yeah. actually realizing, well, actually the, the starting point is as long as I have this amount of money, you know, I can cover my bills. If yeah. I then do this, I can increase my income by this. And then if I do this and then to keep doing it in a step-by-step way, but always keeping an eye on what those core numbers are. Yeah, because that'll keep you from being in situations where maybe you're financially dependent on somebody and you don't want to be in that situation anymore. Like if you don't have any, if if you've left yourself, you know, it's not, I mean, then it can be depressing and then also, yeah, dangerous and scary. So I think I'm never going to be a person that's comfortable just winging it. <laughs> it's just not yeah, me. Yeah. And I love that some people are. Um, but also it, it's really important to have that. Okay. Like I know how, like what the baseline is, what, like the worst case scenario, like how much do I need? And I'm like, okay, well, if I could do that waiting tables part-time while I build a business, then that's what I'll do if that comes down to it, you know? So kind of knowing what that is, maybe cutting out all of the, you know, the extras in order to get to that, knowing that number, then knowing what's a comfortable lifestyle and then what your goals and dreams would be is really important to kind of figure out like, okay, you know, because a lot of us don't know really how to measure our own success. We just look at everybody else and think, but maybe that's that's more than they than I need. I'm happy with this, or I would love to be able to bring in this per year, do the things I want to do. So knowing that internally is a lot better than just looking around and being like, oh, well, they're doing better. They're doing yeah. better. And always feeling like, you know, you're measuring up against someone else's yardstick. Yeah. And I think that's, you know, that's a really important point to bring up. It has to be you, what you want, and it has to correspond with your way. Because if it doesn't meet what you want and correspond with your way, then it's going to be out of alignment. You're not going to have that real emotional connection to that goal. And I think that's when we have the greatest chance of success is when we emotionally connect to Mm -hmm. our own goal rather than feeling we have to really be going after somebody else's goal. 
Right. Yeah. And once you can visualize what you want, you can picture like this is the home or this is, you know, this is the vacation. This is the family. This is what we'd be doing. And the more real you can make it, the the easier it will be to kind of have that connection where it's more important for you to get there because you've already thought about it so much and that it feels like it's yours. Like everything I've done, I've kind of, I've spent a lot of time getting very detailed in what it is. It's not just, Oh, well, maybe we'll, maybe the, we'll be able to travel. It's like, no, maybe I could take my family here and we could go visit this and then we can eat this type of, and, and it kind of in my mind starts to become like the plan. Yeah. Yeah. And when it comes to working with your clients mm-hmm. and obviously anybody listening into the podcast now as well, what tips would you, or do you offer to them to get them to be thinking bigger beyond just paying off their student debt, et cetera? Yeah. A lot of times, you know, I'll ask them some questions. And in the book, I put some journal, you know, prompts just at the end of each chapter to kind of get people to think, because a lot of times we just, we, we think the same things on loop. We have, you know, the same thoughts every day. You know, a lot of times it's really just a repeat of, all right, what do I do at this time of day? Oh, normally I go get a coffee or normally I do this and we just do the same thing. So some different questions about like, you know, how do you, you know, how do you think people would react to you if you had more money? Or what do you think about, you know, how do you feel about people who have a lot of wealth? And if you're thinking they're greedy, they're this, it's interesting to see what your actual thoughts are, because then it's like, okay, well, if you think they're bad or evil, your brain's going to keep you from becoming that, you know, where if you might say, well, that that's just a thought that's been in my head, but is it true? And most of the time it's not. Or, you know, what what do you think is the most money you could ever make and why? And it's just things that people probably haven't thought about. But if they actually write it down and then try to think about why, and it's just because, oh, well, that's that's all I've ever done so far, then, you know, what if you tripled that? Or what would you do with a million dollars if you had to spend it in one day? What would you do with it? Yeah. To see where people would actually, if they'd say, oh, I would give it away to this charity or I would change this, I'd pay off this person's bills, or I would go to school, or I would do something different, um, then it's just a different question that they've never been asked. So to start them to just play around with it in a safe space, which is basically them writing something down on a piece of paper with no one judging them or even looking at it, to say like, hmm, I never thought about it that way. But if I did have to earn a $1,000 tomorrow to pay for a surgery for my pet, this is what I would do. Because you would find a way to do it if you asked that, you know, the brain, the supercomputer brain that you have to solve this problem, you might say, okay, well, maybe I'd sell this, maybe I'd do this, maybe I'd, and you could come up with a way to do it. Um, We just aren't usually in that pressure situation. No. And creativity very often kicks in at that point where we have made that connection between our subconscious and our conscious and kind of say, I need some help here. Can you help me out, please? I thought you'd never ask. And all of a sudden then you'll be in the shower and you'll have those moments, you know, of inspiration, basically. So you're so, so right. You see how creative, like I, I see how creative my children are. It's there. It's in, it's, it's in our capacity. It's just kind of like worn down year after year of, you know, becoming an adult and having to make these decisions and go to work where, you know, I think using that, tapping into that potential that you have, like you said, sometimes people, you know, my father used to always say that in the shower on a, on a long drive is when he'd have these ideas where he couldn't write something down. But I think it's when you're kind of unable to do something else to stay busy. And you have that space in your brain for these ideas to pop up to pay attention to them and to start to think about like, huh, that, why, why did I have that thought? Why did that pop in my head? And, and to just play with it and see what happens. Absolutely. So what is next for you? So what's next for me um, in, let's see, two weeks, I'll be going out to Los Angeles. I have, um, I worked on an unscripted reality show called Heartbroke. And I was working with couples. I worked with 10 couples who were having financial stress and um, 
you know, it was starting to impact their relationship. So I worked with them kind of in a coaching capacity to talk about what's going on, their thoughts about money, and then did some actual financial planning with them to get the facts kind of together to see if we could figure out a way to um, help them you know, keep their relationship moving. So that's going to be on Million Stories Media. So if you go to their website or follow them, you'll be able to see that there. So that's the next project. It was so much fun. I love working with couples because a lot of times there's so much love there, but money can be a really uncomfortable topic and it can be hard to discuss in a way that doesn't get, you know, heated and... Stressful, and one person wants to run away, and one person wa- wants to be right. Because a lot of times we just bo- we just have our different beliefs, and there might not be a right or wrong. It just might be able to understand how that other person feels and why, and see where you can make those compromises when you need to. Oh, that sounds a really, really exciting project. Really exciting. Yeah, very fun. So, how can people connect with you, Misty? All right. So the easiest way would just be to go to uh, my website, mistylynch.com. There you can um, find out more about the books, the um, blog articles, the podcasts that I have. And really, um, and then it also links to my business, um, Soundview Financial Advisors, which is where I actually help people with planning and, and investing there. So just mistylynch.com or Misty Lynch CFP on social media. Brilliant. And all those links will be in the show notes so people can easily reach out to you. Thank you very, very much for your time today. I have loved our conversation and I hope that we can connect again in the future and good luck with Los Angeles in a couple of weeks' time. I'd look forward to seeing an update on that. Thank you, Leslie. Thank you. Take care. Thanks very much for listening to the latest episode of the Let's Talk Many and More podcast. I really hope you enjoyed it. If you would like to better understand your relationship with money, then please head to the resources section on my website, the Money Confidence Academy, and download my monthly money mindset audit. This will allow you to create a benchmark for where your relationship with money is right now and allow you to continue to measure it on a monthly basis as you do the inner work to improve it. You will also find a copy of my Money Archetypes Assessment at the same time, which will allow you to start to really understand which are your three primary money archetypes driving your relationship with money and how to use this information to make, spend, keep and invest more money. Or if you are a female online business owner, why not join my free Money Confidence community over on Facebook? A link to the group and other ways to connect with me can be found in the show notes. Finally, if you have enjoyed listening to the podcast, please do tell others about it. And I would love it if you rated it and gave a review.